Engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. And one glorious nation under God. And together, we will make America powerful again. We will make America wealthy again. We will make America strong again. We will make America proud again. And we will make America great again. Well, hello, friends, and welcome to Praying for America. Pro-Life leader Frank Pavone here. The First Amendment of our Constitution, a key to making America great again, a key thing we have to defend in keeping America great. Also, some updates on President Trump and also uh, some uh, matters to clarify about Nevada and the votes coming up uh, this uh, coming week. Very important things to cover. Most importantly, we go into the Word of God, which gives us our roadmap for living in this nation and striving for uh, what is right. Let's uh, turn to uh, the Gospel of St. Luke, ver- uh, ch- uh, chapter 16, starting with verse 10. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Let us pray. We come to you, Father, with prayers for the greatness of America. We know that you have given us such blessings in this nation. And we ask you, in in accordance with the wisdom of your word, to enable us always to focus on the things that matter most, the things that matter to you, the things of the kingdom of heaven. As we enjoy the prosperity of this world, as we enjoy the goods of this world that you give to us, and we pray for those, Lord, who do not have enough of those goods, and we pray for our fellow citizens struggling with this economy. But nevertheless, we ask that all that we do have, we will use always and only as instruments in your service, as stepping stones to your kingdom, and never, never as things in which we place our ultimate hope. Our hope is in you, O God. Our trust, our peace is rooted in you. In God alone be at rest my soul, for my hope comes from him, your word says. Bless us as we talk about the greatness of our nation and how to increase it. Bless us, we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. President Trump has been nominated yet again for the Nobel Peace Prize. Now, he should have received it already. I mean, he has nominated multiple times, you'll recall, over recent years. You know, people who, I mean, who can nominate somebody? Can you and I nominate somebody for Nobel Prize? No, you have to be a professor or a member of a national government or an assembly. And uh, people in those categories can submit formal nominations. And that means if you're a member of Congress, you can do so. So, sure enough, from New York, Republican lawmaker Claudia Tenney nominated uh, President Trump for the Nobel Peace Prize and, and uh, cited 
the brokerage of the Abraham Accords as the rationale for that. Now, let me just read a little bit of this uh, news piece about this. The nomination came just a few days after, sadly, tragically, three army soldiers were killed in a suicide drone attack in uh, Jordan. We've talked about that and prayed for, uh, for their families. Uh, the uh, Abraham Accords was the treaty that formally uh, f- uh, normalized the relationships between Israel, Bahrain, and the UAE, United Arab Emirates. She said in a statement just the uh, day before yesterday, Donald Trump was instrumental in facilitating the first new peace agreements in the Middle East in almost 30 years. For decades, bureaucrats, foreign policy professionals, and international organizations insisted that additional Middle East peace agreements were impossible without a resolution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. President Trump proved that to be false, end of quote. He proved a lot of things to be false. He was right in what he said, in what he did, and what he continues to say and do. He has been nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize multiple times in the past, just to uh, refresh your memory. In 2022, a Norwegian official nominated him, again, for brokering relations between the UAE and Israel. And four Australian law professors nominated him. Remember, nominations can be given by professors or by members of national governments and assemblies. Um, Let me read more from Tenney's statement. The valiant efforts by President Trump in creating the uh, Abraham Accords were unprecedented and continue to go unrecognized by the Nobel Peace Prize Committee, underscoring the need for this nomination today. And then she cites the disastrous leadership, if you can can even give it that word, of Biden on the international stage, not to mention the domestic mess that he has caused. So this is great. We should echo this. We should tell people about this. We should urge this, even though we, we are not in a position to make formal nominations, but the Nobel Peace Prize Committee should really give, us, give a thought about, you know, what, what is it that, what exactly is it that we're supposed to be honoring? Peace? I mean, this, this, what President Trump accomplished here, one of his countless accomplishments, is right at the heart and foundation and core and meaning of a, a peace prize. Let's pray that this happens. What a beautiful vindication. I mean, those who are, are hauling him, you know, the, 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 the radical, sick Democrat left, hauling him into these courtrooms, they should be ashamed of themselves with, with 100,000 degrees of shame b- b- because they should, be, they should be honoring this man, honoring him at every step. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's a political savior. We're not saying that. We never said that. We're not idolizing, you know, when people say that to me, I say, why don't don't you go open your eyes and, you know, turn on your mind, maybe. Uh, Idolize, turning Donald Trump into an idol. Recognize the good that he's done. That's all we're saying. He's a fellow human being, flawed and sinful like the rest of us. But my goodness sake, match up his accomplishments with yours before you open your mouth. So that's... um, that is, when, as we go back into prayer, we're going to pray this, that this nomination uh, actually leads. He should, I want to see him receiving a Nobel Peace Prize. I think you agree with me, too. Speaking uh, uh, also um, of President Trump. So we're in the primary season, obviously. I mean, look, we've got to get uh, the primaries exist, and, and uh, but, but effectively they've been decided. I was saying that months and months ago. 
Um, but Nevada, nevertheless, people should participate. Cast their vote. Let it be. Show the overwhelming support for President Trump. Don't say, oh, because President Trump has the nomination wrapped up, we're not going to bother voting in the primaries. No, no, don't do that. that. That's a mistake. Go if, if he's got it wrapped up, which he obviously does, although technically people say, well, not technically. Yeah, he does. And so, but the point is, show it. If that's the case, if he's so far ahead, if he's got overwhelming support, historically large margins of support, which is true, well, then why would we want to show that? So, friends, and, and not only that, here's another reason for getting involved in, in making sure you're voting in the, in the primaries and the caucuses. I want to make that distinction in a moment because there's a, a very important little distinction you have to recognize about Nevada next week. But it's an opportunity to activate other voters. We need to get an overwhelming margin of victory in this year's elections. I was about to say in November. No, not in November. In September, October, November. Remember, because the first day, what have I been saying to you? The first day of early voting in your state is election day. That's the election day, not November 5th only. That's the culmination. That's the conclusion of election day. Early voting. We've pushed it for years and years and years. Before it was a thing to push it, we've been pushing it. Well, this year, full throttle times a thousand. The first day of early voting in your state. Call that election day. Mark that as election day. Circle that on your calendar as election day and make a plan to vote. So what I'm saying is, if we've got to overwhelm the vote in the fall, what better way of preparing to do that than to get the voters that are still inactive or maybe not even registered, getting them voting in the primaries? This is our chance. It's like, yeah, the primary is effectively decided for President Trump on the Republican side, but this is like a dry, it's like a dry run. We're going to show the strong support. We've got to manifest it. But then we also have to activate more voters. This is a great way to do it, get them voting in the primaries. Because if a person, let's say a person hasn't voted in a, in a decade, or maybe the last time they voted was when the great surge of people came out to vote for President Trump, either in 16 or 20. Okay, great. More people than have ever voted for a president voted for, for President Trump. And that's, by the way, that's a little fact that we, we should never tire of repeating. No incumbent president ever got the, number, the sheer number of votes of people than Donald J. Trump. All you, and, and they're hauling him into these courtrooms. They should be honoring him. But get the people out. Maybe they haven't voted since then. Well, if you're going to reactivate them to vote, get, get them activated now in the primaries. We can't do it all in the last few weeks. Okay, you got my point. What's going on in Nevada? So next week on the calendar, February 6th, Tuesday, February 6th, is marked as the primary. Now, GOP voters in Nevada may be getting uh, ballots that they're receiving in the mail. Say, oh, okay, it's time to vote in the Republican primary and look at the ballot, and they don't see President Trump's name there. What's going on? What's going on is this. The Republican Party of Nevada called a caucus. So instead of President Trump being on the ballot on February 6th, People in Nevada can vote for him in the caucus on February 8th. This is that, now we can go into all the reasons, uh, why did the GOP, they, they had reasons to make this, uh, uh, make this decision. 
They, they're doing a caucus. Caucus is a somewhat different process. It takes a little bit more time. You're sitting there. You're discussing with people the reasons why you support a particular candidate. Folks in Nevada, you know folks in Nevada, go to the caucus. Make sure you're participating in the caucus. Thursday, February 8th, the caucus in Nevada. Now, see, because the way this works is a voter can vote in the primary and participate in the caucus. A voter registered properly, etc., can do both. But a candidate can only appear in either one or the other. In other words, you can't have Donald Trump's name as a, as a, as a vote in the caucus and at the same time have to appear on the ballot two days earlier in the primary. It doesn't work that way. According to the law, the candidates have to choose do they want to appear on the primary ballot or do they want to appear in the caucus. They, they, they have to choose one or the other. The voters, they, they can participate in both. The point is, he's going to win Nevada the only votes that count towards awarding the delegates for the GOP convention are the votes that are cast in the caucus, February 8th. So please, friends, understand this. Tell your friends, uh, uh, folks you might know out in Nevada, what's what with this so that they not end up being... Um, being um, confused. I'll reach for another paper here, excuse me. So the other day, uh, so we had a great show last night with our executive director, Janet Morana. Thank you for your kind comments. She appreciates uh, that, and uh, she's a great, great leader herself. And I wanted to add to, and that's why I also want to show you something about the First Amendment here in a moment from our discussion on Mark Levin's book, but I, I wanted to add to the things we were talking about last night on the abortion issue that the continued weaponization of the uh, Biden administration is evident in uh, some friends of mine and uh, colleagues in the pro-life movement and just freedom-loving Americans were convicted the, just the other day of the FACE violations of the FACE Act, as it's called, and also conspiracy against rights. And for these violations, and I'll tell you why in a moment, they are facing sentencing now this coming summer, summer that could be up to 11 years in prison. Folks, here's the thing to realize. Just like so many of the people are sitting in prison because of January 6th, and they didn't do a single violent thing. Now, there were some people that did violence. They should be punished for that. But the peaceful Americans who came there just to express their views, like we have to be completely free to do, Weaponized Biden administration put peaceful Americans in jail where they're still sitting in many cases. Similar thing here. This time it wasn't for expressing their views about the fraudulent outcome of an election. This time it was trying to save babies from death. Now, I, I'm telling you, I know these people. Some of them I know very well. I've known for decades. A man by the name of Chet Gallagher, another man by the name of Cal Zastro. These people, what do they do? They went to an abortion facility in uh, Tennessee and they peacefully, they didn't do any violence. They did not do any violence. They peacefully obstructed entrance to the doors. Okay, you want to change, charge them with trespassing? They'll, they'll accept the consequences of that. But 11 years in prison, conspiracy against rights, what are you talking about? They blocked the entrance to the clinic for two hours. W what are they doing? They're putting themselves in between the bodies of innocent babies and the knife of the abortionist. That's what they're doing. 
There's machines set up in that building and, and, and to, to, to literally dismember and decapitate these babies. There's people on their way in there bringing the babies to be decapitated, and they're intervening and saying no, peacefully. And then what, they were, what were they doing also? Wow, look at this. Prayers and singing of hymns and worshiping, all oriented towards persuading moms not to have their babies killed. Okay, Joe Biden, you disagree with this. It's because you're sick and you're demented like all your abortion-loving friends. But to punish peaceful Americans that are only trying to save lives, this is on you. This is a shame. This is a, a bloat on your, on, your, uh, 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 on your reputation and on hi American history. Conspiracy against... So face is freedom of access to clinic entrances. You can't block the doors of, a, of an abortion facility. But this conspiracy against rights is what's bringing the additional 10 years of threatened present prison time. Understand something. They're talking about the right to kill a baby. But we're at a moment now in American history where the Supreme Court has said, oops, we made a mistake. There never was such a thing as a constitutional right to abortion, and there isn't. So shouldn't that trickle down and have an effect on this and say, well, they weren't obstructing anybody's right. Right to do what? You don't have a right to kill babies. So I want to bring this to your attention. It's another example, and we'll pray, too, for these people. We're going to pray about all these things. And then finally, I want to show you a uh, segment from my, uh, one of my presentations in the past on Mark Levin's book, The Democrat Party Hates America, about the First Amendment. Because when we look at these things here, when we look at the, uh, these peaceful pro-life people, they were, they, were, they were engaged in First Amendment activity. And the peaceful people from January 6th, they were engaged in, 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 in essentially American activity making their voices heard, assembling and, and, and giving voice to their concerns. We've got to get back to a protection on the First Amendment. And uh, Mark Levin's book has a great, great, great section on all of this. So I'm going to share with you the... Um, here's what we, Well, let's do this. Let's pray. Then I'm going to share with you the um, segment about the, uh, the book. And then, we'll, uh, and then we'll conclude with the Lord's Prayer. So, Father, we come to you and, and uh, we, first of all, we ask you to bless President Trump and bless the, uh, the nomination committee for the Nobel Peace Prize as they consider the various submissions brought by professors and members of national governments. Uh, Lord, th this man should receive this prize. And, and we want to pray today for that outcome. We want to pray specifically that that happens. He's been nominated multiple times. He's achieved things for peace that nobody else has been able to achieve. And, Lord, we ask that in the midst of a, of a situation where people try to accuse him and try to convict him and indict him and they want to see him in prison. These people are sick. And, and Lord, we, we, we instead, we see the great honor that President Trump deserves. And so we pray, let it happen. Let it happen that he received this prize. And secondly, Lord, we pray for the, uh, for the folks in Nevada uh, that uh, the voters in Nevada will be strong in their turnout on February the 8th for the caucuses, which will give President Trump the, the, the convention delegates from, from Nevada. And we ask blessings on that, on that election. We ask blessings, Lord. We give wisdom. 
Give wisdom to the voters across America that they will use these, uh, these primaries and caucuses as a way to activate more voters getting ready for the fall and as a way to show in numbers the overwhelming amount of support for President Trump. And Lord, finally, we pray for these pro-life uh, protesters that are suffering these, uh, these unjust uh, convictions and, and this potential uh, prison time. Uh, Lord, we ask you to look favorably upon them and their families and give them the strength and courage to do what needs to be done and to save lives and to build a culture of life which is a key part of making America great again. Will you offer all these prayers together with our own intentions through Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay, now, the Democrat Party Hates America. Let me present to you this segment from one of our previous uh, episodes. And it's worth repeating. Let's take a look. By now, I'm going to trust that you have this book and that you're reading this book and that you're studying this book along with us. The Democrat Party Hates America, as we've said, is not just some kind of... Uh, hyperbole or, or, or uh, provocative statement. It, it, it's a matter of established fact. And the thousands and thousands of documented, footnoted facts in this book compel that conclusion. So it's, not, it, it, it's a serious point that's being made here that is backed up by all kinds of uh, dynamics and trends. Now, some of these trends many of these trends, we see right before our eyes, but we not, might not necessarily be processing it to the level of detail that this book helps us process it. Now, uh, there are various chapters that we've been looking at. We looked at the chapter on language control and thought control. We also looked already at the chapter on the war on the nuclear family. We're not necessarily going in the order in which these chapters are in the book. Um, right now, we're looking at Chapter 7, The War on the Constitution. And if you recall from our recent programs, we started out by showing how uh, great our Constitution is, many, many reasons that we can assert that. We're the only nation functioning under its original Constitution right now in the whole world. There's a reason for that. There's wisdom given to our founders. They prayed for wisdom and they got it. And we also have um, several areas of attack besides just the whole idea of the Constitution. And remember, we looked at uh, this, this, this fake idea that the Constitution somehow uh, is rooted in slavery. Actually, just the opposite. Uh, the Constitution provides the framework for abolishing slavery, and that's in fact what happened. Uh, this is not a racist document. This is not a pro-slavery document. If the, if the framers wanted to endorse slavery, they would have said so. And uh, so you've got that. We looked at that. Then we started looking at four different areas where, where you see this war against the Constitution play out. And we're still looking at the first of those four areas. Uh, those four areas are the... First Amendment, and that's what we're looking at here now, the Supreme Court, the Electoral College, and the debt ceiling. All of these are being systematically attacked. For This is not just something that happened yesterday. A detailed, deliberate plan 
articulated and expressed over years and years, sometimes decades, by the Democrats, showing their war on these things, their war on the First Amendment. Let's continue here looking at that. We saw things about the disinformation governing board and uh, uh, attacks on the First Amendment by the Biden administration colluding with the talk about collusion, colluding with the social media companies to suppress politically unfavorable stories and posts and opinions. Now I want to go into an area of surveillance by the FBI. Now there's always a certain amount of legitimate surveillance going on by the FBI, legitimately trying to keep us safe, legitimately going after um, crime. Uh, And so there have always been authorizations for domestic surveillance. However, whereas there were 1.2 million such uh, searches in um, 2020, they have spiked by over 300% in the Biden administration. So that in 2021, there were 3.39 million searches conducted by the FBI, domestic surveillance, secret domestic surveillance. Come to find out, nearly a third of these searches, and I'm quoting the book here, sought by the FBI and secretly authorized by a federal judge were supposedly in error. This is astonishing and unbelievable. And we've got whistleblowers now, whistleblowers from the FBI who have come forward. I'm sure you've seen many of their testimonies coming out in Congress and in in other reports. And uh, they've gone on various broadcasts and so forth. And sadly, but predictably, these whistleblowers then end up getting threatened by that same FBI and, and others on the left. God bless them, we pray for them, for their courage and their strength in bearing witness to the truth. Isn't that what our Lord said He came to do? I have come to give testimony to the truth. In fact, He said, I am the truth. And the Lord also said, what is spoken in the darkness will be manifested in the light, will be seen, will be heard, will come to light. Whistleblowers are doing the work of God. They're doing the work of God. All right, that's one dynamic here going on with the attack on the First Amendment. Uh, Secondly, the deplatforming of groups and individuals with whom they disagree, and not only on social media, but in mainstream media. You saw AOC celebrating when uh, Tucker Carlson was no longer uh, um, at Fox. Uh, AOC said, Tucker Carlson is out at Fox. Couldn't have happened to a better guy. So good things can happen, she says. Deplatforming works, and it's important. Yeah, good things can happen. It's not good things when free speech is not permitted in America. The very fact that politicians or other interest groups will be angry at something somebody says is the reason for the First Amendment. This is what we have to... People are using it as a reason to deny the First Amendment. Well, if you get us angry, shut up. We're going to shut you up because we don't, we don't want to be upset. No, being upset and knowing that certain things are going to upset you 
It's part of the price you pay for living in a free society. Two Democratic members of Congress in 2021 sent letters to presidents of Comcast, AT&T, Verizon, Cox, Dish, and other cable and satellite companies, you remember this, implying that they should stop carrying Fox News, One America News Network, Newsmax. Stop carrying them. There was a whole campaign that resulted from this of pushback by viewers of One American News and Newsmax. I was involved in both of those efforts. People saying to these companies, this is wrong. Don't give in to the pressure from these politicians. Don't try to intimidate these platforms. But the deplatforming effort continues by uh, the left. We know, of course, uh, you know, Newsmax then announced uh, shortly after that that blowback uh, that they had uh, been assured that they would not be uh, removed from these uh, 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 platforms. But we still have uh, this, for example, this Global Disinformation Index, which is a, a British group and it has some affiliated U.S.-based groups, putting pressure on advertisers and saying, be careful, Newsmax, you know, One American News, these other places, uh, if, you know, if you sponsor them with your uh, advertising, they are going to, uh, you're, 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 you're supporting groups that are sending out bad information. American Spectator, they name, Newsmax, The Federalist, The American Conservative, One American News, The Blaze, The Daily Wire, Real Clear Politics, Reason, New York Post. On the flip side, Mark points out, all of the websites that this global disinformation index ranks as the least risky lean, of course, which direction? To the left. To the left. Associated Press, The New York Times, USA Today, Washington Post, HuffPost, BuzzFeed News. Oh, least risky, least risky. Yeah, well, actually, these are the ones purveying actually the morally damaging messages that uh, we're suffering under in America today. That doesn't mean we oppose their freedom of speech. That means that what the other side is saying about our kind of outlets, the rationale they try to invoke, anti-democracy, against truth, justice, equality, is exactly a projection of the things they're guilty of. Okay, so you got this kind of uh, uh, attack on, on the First Amendment going on, this deplatforming. And then, of course, the whole question of religious freedom. Uh, let me, uh, oh, actually, yeah, we're coming to the end of our time here. You know, here's an interesting perspective. We know that our Constitution, again, this is all part of the war on the Constitution, guarantees the free exercise of religion and prohibits an establishment of religion. So you've got these two clauses, part of the First Amendment. The state is not to establish a religion. We have no official state religion. The state officially is neutral. Not about belief in God but about a specific religion that the citizens have to adopt. No citizen has to adopt any particular denominational affiliation. They can be of no religion if they want. Their lives are not going to be uh, as uh, graced 
as God wants them to be if they have no religion, but that's a separate question. By law, no, oblig no religious obligations, nor, are the, nor constitutionally can there be any religious criteria for those who hold public office. That's very consistent with not establishing a state religion. At the same time, the government can't interfere with the free exercise of religion. Let people practice the religion they want to practice. Now, first glance, these are pretty basic and easy to understand concepts. How many challenges have there been to these clauses of the Constitution? Here's an interesting uh, observation by my uh, colleague and friend Kelly Shackelford. I've known him for decades. We've worked together in various ways. He is the uh, president, CEO, and, and chief counsel for a group called First Liberty, First Liberty Institute. You, I'm sure, uh, know of them if you follow these matters, and they've won many cases at the Supreme Court and other courts for religious freedom. He explained this recently in Newsmax, for, uh, in Newsweek, rather. For the first uh, almost 100 years of our republic, there were zero cases decided by the U.S. Supreme Court concerning the free exercise clause of the First Amendment. Now, if there are zero court cases about something, it means there's no controversy about them. And he knows substantial controversy. The free exercise clause, people just accepted, understood and accepted the fact that people in America are free to exercise their religion. 110 years passed before the High Court heard a case on the First Amendment's Establishment Clause, that the state may not establish a, a church. And then, not another case on either clause came about for another 41 years after that. However, since 1940, this is when things started to change, there have been more than 75 cases at the Supreme Court. Took 100, 110 years for them to get around to it. But there have been 75 cases since then dealing with attacks on religious freedom where citizens felt that they or their groups were subject to an unconstitutional infringement of their religious freedom rights. 75 cases since then. Now, this is no coincidence. There is an organized, deliberate attack by the left, again, coalesced in the Democrat Party, against this key provision of the Constitution. And, of course, a key obstacle in their to their plan of restructuring the whole world and, and rejecting the moral framework that has been handed down to us in our faith and by our founders. Well, I want to thank Mark Levin, as usual, for that book. It's a treasure chest, friends. Make sure you have your copy. And it is uh, something to promote among our fellow voters as one of the key resources in preparing for elections 2024. The Democrat Party hates America. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer again and offer the very prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory 
forever and ever. Amen. Let's make America great again. Let's pray for America. Connect with me on social media on all the platforms, please. At FR Frank Pavone. At FR Frank Pavone. We'll stay in contact. We'll encourage one another. And we'll talk to you again tomorrow. Hello, this is Father David Begany. Like many priests, I am inspired and always learning from the Ministry of Priests for Life, which is one of the largest and most visible pro-life organizations in the world. This ministry relies on your financial support to be able to do its work, produce its programs, and travel the world to advocate for the unborn. May I ask you to support Priests for Life generously? Go today to prolifegift.org and give as generous a gift as you can. Thank you so much and be assured of our daily prayers for you. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.